Hey everybody, welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. My name is Eric Nemchak, alongside Steven Trinkwald, as always, and we are nearing the end of our 2023 team outlooks. Uh, Steven, we are talking about the Minnesota Lynx today, a team that's going to look significantly different than they did in 2022. Yeah, the Lynx, they went 14-22 and 22 last season, tied for ninth in the standings just on the outside of the playoff hunt there. They were negative 1.8 in terms of net rating. That was seventh in the league, so underperformed their net rating in terms of their win-loss record uh, a little bit. They were fifth in offense, 102.6 points per 100 possessions. Tenth in defense, 104.4. They missed the playoffs for the first time since 2010, Cheryl Reeves' first year with the team. It did feel, to me at least, Eric, down the stretch, like they were... And, and they did end up missing the playoffs, but I, I kind of felt that they were the best of that sort of Liberty and down team that was, you know, the Liberty, the Mercury, Atlanta, those teams fighting for the, the playoffs there. I, I kind of thought that they were just like the most, you know, the highest quality team of that group, but they ended up kind of losing some games late and, and falling a bit short of the playoffs in Sylvia Falls uh, last season. Yeah, it was a disappointing end to the career, to the illustrious career of Sylvia Fowles, for sure. And to your point there, I mean, I don't think the Lynx wanted to end Sylvia Fowles' career with a lottery appearance. But as as you know, the season dragged drag on, um, I think it kind of became apparent that this wasn't, I don't want to say it wasn't a playoff caliber team, because they did have some really nasty injury luck, uh, especially at the start of the season, where some things just went really, really crazy with these uh, early season transactions. You know, they brought in Angel McCautry for like 30 minutes or something like that. <laughs> they brought in Odyssey Sims, barely. Um, Yvonne Turner, like there was a lot of interesting stuff going on with Minnesota at the start of the season. Yeah, it was a little bit of a tumultuous start. I think starting out with some surprising cuts, of course, they released Crystal Dangerfield and Lasia Clarendon before the start of the season. I think both of those kind of caught people off guard. I think it's it's easy to forget how surprising this was at the time, or at least it was slightly surprising, but they waived their 2021 first-round pick, Renaya Davis, before she ever played a game with the yeah. Lynx, after, of course, missing her rookie season with an injury. You mentioned the Angel McCautry and, and Odyssey Sims signings. I mean, who even remembers that, that Angel McCautry like, ended her career, essentially, with the Lynx? It was you know, something that I think we maybe kind of held out a little bit of hope for because she was able to bounce back from that 2019 injury so well in the bubble season, of course, before suffering another unfortunate injury in 2021, but an experiment that that didn't work out for either side. The Odyssey Sim signing you mentioned outside of mishandling some personnel moves, perhaps it was, they were just hampered by inconsistent availability up and down the roster. You know, Fowles ended up missing a handful of games Nafisa Collier, of course, played just four games last season. Demers Dantas played in just 15 games. I mean, that trio right there is uh, a trio that started 50 games together the, the previous three seasons. There wasn't a lot of continuity. Was yeah, and, and those three, you know, after starting 50 games the previous three seasons, 50 games together, they didn't play a single game together last year. Uh, Natalie Chanwa missed double-digit games. This was uh, the team that, you know, basically led the league in days with a player signed under a hardship contract. You know, they were basically operating that way the entire season, 135 days with a player signed to a, a, a hardship contract. 20 different players got regular season action for them. So, I mean, honestly, credit to them for kind of 
finding a balance between, you know, solving some issues with, you know, the Mariah Jefferson signing, you know, solving things over the course of the season, but also, you know, getting looks at as many young players or youngish players as they did. And, you know, not just kind of bringing back the same hardships every time, you know, they, they brought in a ton of kind of fringy WNBA players and seeing what those players had, none of them ended up, uh, of course, being, you know, kind of long-term pieces for this team. But um, I think you can kind of credit the, the process a little bit there for just getting as many bites at the apple as as you can with um, their hardship signings. Yeah, I think Cheryl Reeb knew, knew what was at stake here, and which is, of course, a, a lottery pick in the 2023 WNBA draft. And while it does kind of suck that Sylvia Fowles' career ended on that note, I mean, the Lynx as, a, as an organization, they're in this post-Fowles era now. They're going to be a, a completely different team heading into 2023. And like you said, while none of the players they uh, were experimenting with last season, well, maybe a couple, but while none of the players they were experimenting with last season are probably going to be fixtures of the team moving forward, it does make sense when, when you're kind of entering a transition season to, like you said, get as many bites at the apple as you possibly can, because if you're not going to make the playoffs, well, you, you want to start preparing for the future in some capacity. And one of the, the places that they struggled early, of course, was just once again, you know, primary ball handling, playmaking, the addition of Mariah Jefferson was was huge for this team. They opted, of course, not to bring her back long term. But I mean, enough cannot be said about what a, a, a steadying ship that Mariah Jefferson was for this team. And, you know, someone that could just be a point guard, you know, I think you could probably make a case that Jefferson ended up playing a little bit above her head in terms of like her shooting numbers and stuff like that. But I mean, they were like, barely a functioning WNBA offense before they brought Jefferson in and um, they ended up fifth in offense. Yeah, really a nice story for Jefferson. Um, I thought, and I'm sure you thought this as well, her career had kind of come to a standstill in Dallas. Um, the Wings were obviously able to shed that contract, but then she kind of had a career renaissance in Minnesota. Um, of course, was not rewarded with a contract this season from, from Minnesota, but uh, really got her WNB career in general back on track. So that was nice to see. But yeah, one of the few, um, it was just to reiterate, a, a very patchwork roster throughout the course of the season for Minnesota. And while you said earlier, uh, you know, they were probably a talented enough team to make the playoffs at the end of the day. Uh, they didn't. And they were rewarded with the number two pick in the 2023 WNBA draft as a result. Just one thing I wanted to point out here is that, well, you mentioned they were 10th in defense. I thought their defensive shot profile was actually okay. You know, they were the third lowest frequency allowing uh, shots from one to five feet, third highest frequency allowing from 16 to 21 feet. So limiting high efficiency shots from opponents and kind of encouraging them to take those long two-pointers, but they were last in the WNBA enforcing turnovers, which is something, you know, that's something you have to be able to do, or you don't have to be able to do it, but it sure would be nice if you're able to do it. And if you can't do it, that's, it's definitely going to show up over the course of the season. Yeah. If you don't have the personnel to play elite defense without doing it, you know, then, then you kind of have to do like it. If Sylvia Fowles is getting hurt and if he's Callier really isn't playing, then well, you can't really, a conservative defensive approach probably isn't going to do as much. The, the one other thing I wanted to say about this team before we sort of move on to the future is that with Sylvia Fowles in the roster, you know, they were a perfectly respectable playoff team, you know, 13 and 17 in the 30 games that she played. That's, a, you know, a 43% win percentage, certainly good enough to make the playoffs any given year, um, but one in five in the six games that she missed. So, you know, not having her in even that, that short amount of time really, I think was the difference between getting taken out fairly easily as the eighth seed, but kind of giving falls that 
that one last, um, you know, playoff ride. And like you said, getting a lottery pick and kind of having a real piece for the future moving forward here and, and which will get you. And, you know, that's, I think, one big difference between the Storm team that we talked about last week, uh, moving on from their Hall of Famer or Hall of Famers in that case, and the Lynx moving on from Sylvia Fowles is the Lynx already have one lottery pick in the pipeline. This is kind of the Storm's sort of uh, first not tanking season, but season uh, where they'll probably get more losses than wins, perhaps. Soft rebuilds. Soft. Oh, is that the term that they use? Okay. I, allegedly. Uh, so Diamond Miller, the, the number two pick in the draft, of course. We can get into the specifics of her game, but I'm, I'm kind of wondering like how you view her as a prospect. Like, What level of prospect are they getting in Miller? How does she kind of compare to you know recent other number two picks? You know, Kelsey Mitchell, Satu Sabali, Nalissa Smith. Is she that level of prospect? Are we talking about maybe a player who who might not have the same type of ceiling as those players? I'm not sure if she's going to have the type of offensive ceiling as the Kelsey Mitchell or the type of overall ceiling as a Satu Sabali. But if she does turn into as an effective of a player as, say, Sabali is currently or Smith is currently, although Smith only in year two, you know, the, the sky's the limit for her, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, Miller was out of the class. I think she was pretty comfortably the number two prospect in the class. Um, you saw a lot of mock drafts have her pretty set in stone at number two for a while after the start of the college season. She was, in my opinion, she was the most fun player to watch in the class. I mean, she's, you know, a lot of people call uh, players generational. That, that seems to be the new term these days. I would not, I don't know if I'd agree with that, but physically she does some things that you don't see every day. She's six foot three on the perimeter. Her, her, her wing spot, her wingspan just stands out right away. I mean, you look at her, you're like, wow, this is, this is an impressive physical specimen. Um, enormous wingspan, really long strides, athletically speaking. Her strides are just a lot longer than most other players in the perimeter, which allow her for take some pretty unorthodox uh, attacking angles and finish attempts at the basket. She doesn't really, you know, blow by her defender with the first step, but she's going to get around them with the second or the third step because she, her footwork is just that effective. I think this season she's going to make an absolute killing in transition, both as the ball handler and as the wing. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. You know, if, if the Lynx want to play a more up-tempo style of game, I think Miller is going to really excel there. But offensively, you know, as the case with a lot of these young wing players in this draft class, her jump shot is kind of a concern. She shot the ball a lot worse as a senior than she did in previous seasons, which is kind of interesting to me. You know, she was never really the strongest spot-up shooter, but, man, towards the end of her career at Maryland, it looked like she was just kind of, like, sling-shooting the ball. You know, she didn't really have a consistent jump shot for him. You know, spot-up, I guess she was okay, but, you know, off the dribble, it was it was not great. Um, so I'm guessing teams are going to be able to I'm guessing defenses are going to basically dare her to beat them from the outside rather than let her get into the paint defensively. I think she's got the tools to become a really good defensive playmaker just because of her length and her her athleticism. But I think she's going to struggle staying with quicker players right off the bat because I'm not, I'm not sure if her lateral quickness really matches her, her speed going north to south quite yet. I would agree with that. I think, you know, some of these players with like the higher center of gravity, like with Miller has, you know, when uh, when they're going to be atta- um, closing out, I think closing out under control is going to be an issue for her. Like we saw in the first uh, in the first ever Canadian preseason game, she picked up a flagrant foul on a reckless closeout on a three point shot when she didn't need to. That's I, I mean, obviously, I can't say she's going to commit a lot of reckless closeouts, but I think she's going to struggle closing out early on in her WNBA career. But um, as a help defender, I think she might actually be a better help defender than an on ball defender right away because she's just got the ability to create so much havoc. You know, especially playing alongside a Nafisa Collier, who I think it excels at a lot of the same things, but 
is also just so fundamentally sound on defense. Miller's got a way to go. She's got a way to go, especially because I don't think she really played with the kind of defensive uh, ecosystem that Collier did in college. A lot of positionless stuff going on in Maryland, especially when Miller was a senior. I mean, they barely really had a traditional big on that roster. So it was mainly predicated on just creating as much havoc as you can. And if you can't get the stop, well, take the ball out of the net and push it, put, and push it the other way as fast as you can. So how she might figure into the length's short-term plans? I got to wonder who's taking the hit in terms of minutes distributions, because I think Miller, she's got to play, you know, she, she's going to play as much as she can. And I think that's, that, that'd be the right strategy. But if there is a place where the links are set, it's on the wing, right? I mean, they've got Ariel Powers, they've got Kayla McBride, they've got Bridget Carlton, they've got Nafisa Collier. You could probably pencil Collier into the, into the four position right now, but I think Miller's more WNBA ready than most players. So she's going to play, but who's taking the hit there in terms of minutes? I think that's my primary question for, for 2023 at least. So you see her more as a wing. Is that just kind of as a developmental player, like, you know, in her first year, or do you think she's going to be a small forward kind of for the duration of her career? She'll play uh, more three than four. You know, I think she's got the skill to play the three, but the size to play the four. I don't want to call her a tweener because I think there's a lot of negative connotation to that term. Um, I, I think she could excel. She could excel at either position for different reasons. It's not like you're going to put her at the four because she doesn't have the skill to play the three or put her at the three because she doesn't have the size to play the four. You know, I think it's a good thing for her to play either position. But for now, given that you have Nafisa Collier and probably a couple other players who you want to at least take a look at playing the four, I think Miller's primary position is going to be the three. But I know you've got some you've got some other thoughts on that. Well, I I just think that her advantages might be more useful as a four than a three. Like defensively, I think she profiles more as a four than a three because of a lot of what you're saying. She's not the best east-west mover. You know, I don't think she has amazing lateral quickness. Although, you know, we saw a couple of nice moments in that preseason game in Canada, you know, staying with uh, Kalea Copper a couple of times, yes. you know, moving moving her feet laterally. But overall, I think I'd probably prefer her defending around the basket than to kind of put her on the perimeter. You know, I think her shooting limitations are are mitigated a little bit better at the four, especially as she's able to beat bigger players off the bounce, you know, use her horizontal explosiveness a little bit more. You know, I think maybe good WNBA wing defenders are going to be able to kind of get into her handle more than, you know, at the college level where she could sort of get by with, I think... I mean, she has passable handle, but I don't think she has like a great small forward handle. And when you are, you know, a lot taller than than players, um, you know, that's not necessarily an advantage when you're kind of putting she down the floor. She can get her pocket like picked that. a few times by smaller players. I could definitely. Yeah, I, I I could see that for sure. So, and you know, again, just the, the kind of shooting and stuff like that, it, it does kind of make me wonder, like, how how do you think that she sort of fits alongside Nafisa Collier? Um, because this is, it sounds like you're kind of getting to the same point or or we're kind of saying the same thing that we've said about Nafisa Collier a lot of times where you're not necessarily a, a tweener in that we are kind of you know putting you at two different positions um and kind of hoping you don't get killed at one of them like you are creating specific advantages at, at one of those those positions or the other and I think you know for these two players they're the same positions you know they're both kind of you can make a case for them being better at the three or the four I think they're probably the two foundational pieces that this team has the two players that you probably feel really good about being on the next good links team but you know kind of both in that sort of in between small forward power forward type position and 
and I think it makes it maybe a little bit tougher that neither of them are amazing shooters and and you know you're kind of if you're playing those two together with the traditional center you, you know it's probably going to be a, a little cramped on the floor yeah there is a lot of overlap there and i think that's a good point to bring up miller is currently at the same point i think or almost the same point that collier was like i don't expect miller to be as productive right out of the box as, as collier was like that was a really special rookie season for nafisa but yeah you're right i mean both of them have kind of inconsistent jump shots um both of them you, you you would assume are able to create some plays defensively uh, Collier, I think, is a lot more polished than Miller is. But, I mean, you look at it, they're going to have, they've both got the same kind of footwork uh, in the high post and low post area where they're going to be able to kind of maneuver, kind of like slither their way into the defense and, and finish at the rim. I think Miller is a little bit more athletic than Collier, but you're right. Strengths and weaknesses specifically, I think there's a lot of overlap there. So it's it's interesting. Like, you got to think, if, if, those, if these are your two foundational players, which I think they will be, how do you best mitigate their weaknesses while emphasizing their strengths on the rest of the roster. Because on the rest of the roster, like, the links are kind of a blank slate right now. I mean, they've got some some players who can kind of put in there as placeholders, but moving forward, I don't think there are many clear answers, you know, like, who are going to be the supplementary players to these two franchise players. Is there anything specifically that you kind of want to see, like, growth in in Diamond Miller's game year one? You know, what what are going to be some kind of, like, big signs of progress from you over the course of the season in terms of what she can improve at to just sort of scale her game a little bit more? Well, I mean, we already saw this in the uh, in the preseason game against Chicago. She got herself in trouble attacking the rim early on because I think she was also, she was almost trying to make too many moves to get to the basket. You know, she got her shot blocked by, I think, uh, Smith once and Birch once, or, or maybe it was, it was Smith twice, but... Uh, it was um, Birch twice. It was Birch twice? Yeah, okay, so these uh, these more disciplined players who were able to stay down on the floor and basically kind of neutralize Miller's length advantage because they weren't falling for her many fakes and, and pivots and, and what have you. So I would say just kind of maybe slowing down a little bit when attacking the basket. The speed of the game is, is something that almost every rookie needs to adjust to, but I think for Miller in particular. Um, and then, like I said, and kind of like I alluded to before, finding a position on defense. I think once again, she's going to be an excellent help defender right away. She's going to be able to kind of um, make make mistakes into defensive plays, you know, like like recover, like maybe get blown by or maybe be out of position, but be able to recover and make the impressive defensive play because of her, her physical gifts. But if by the end of the season, I need to see that she's at least a passable small forward defender or at least a passable power forward defender. Um, the jump shot, I think that's something that, you, know, you got to kind of give some time to uh, working with a dedicated shooting coach, like a WNBA level shooting coach, or if she goes overseas this off season, I mean, that's something that most young players are going to need to work on anyway. But I would say, yeah, the speed of the game when attacking, maybe just, just decision-making in general in that respect, and then finding a position for herself on defense. Is there anything you wanted to add to that? I mean, I think just kind of building off what you were saying about her kind of getting her shot blocked three times in that game against Chicago, you know, I just want to see her. She has in college, she was able to sort of play with this very kind of creative finishing package. And I just want to see her go through defenders a little bit more, you know, kind of just finish more conventionally and really challenge, you know, defenders to, to not be able to block the ball, you know, so, so low, I guess, to a, a release point, you know, just, just use your physicality and, and kind of take more, I guess, traditional layups. And, and obviously a lot of what kind of made her such a special prospect was her 
her footwork and um, her ability to kind of finish on very creative uh, angles and, and taking these very impressive steps to the basket and, and being able to finish in ways that other players just don't finish very often. But, you know, I just don't think a lot of that is going to fly in, in the WNBA, you know, just get your defender out of position and, and kind of finish, you know, with, with strength and intensity and, you know, a- attack the rim with a little bit more uh, ferocity, I think would be. And here's the thing about that. She's going to get fouled. Like she's, she shot over 250 total free throws as a senior. Um, That was fifth in the country in, in, in total free throws attempted. I think she is a player. Like when we look at draft prospects, I think one of the main questions is how is her free throw rate going to translate? I think Diamond Miller's free throw rate will translate. Like, she's not going to drop. She's not going to shoot 7.4 free throws a game in the WNBA, but she's going to get fouled because she just covers so much ground. And it's, it's going to be tough to contest her shot without fouling if she does, like you said, if she just goes in and attacks. If she doesn't kind of give the defense, because I feel like, you know, by making all those extra moves, she's almost giving the defense more time to recover and giving the defense more time to kind of square her up and make a play on the basketball. If she just goes straight in and she just charges right ahead, she's not going to give the opponent that that time to basically recover and uh, and try to block her shot. So I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, this is one game. It was preseason, but she had her shot blocked by Morgan Birch twice and then went in for a couple other contests where Birch was just able to kind of challenge. Uh, she had her, her shot blocked by Rebecca Gardner one time. And then she also had one other scoop shot that I thought Alana Smith was going to be able like just throw into the stands that she didn't end up getting to. Uh, you know, I think probably a quicker, uh, superior defensive player would have been able to kind of get a hand on that one as well. Um, but, you know, she'll be fine for sure. I think there, there's no reason to uh, get too down on her after having one tough preseason game. What did you think about, I guess, the rest of their their draft class? They drafted Maya Hirsch in the first round, a player who will not be coming to the WNBA this season, but uh, a player that a lot of people are pretty excited about. They drafted Dorka Yuhas and Bria Beal in the second round and then Taylor Soule in the third round. Well, for Hirsch, I think that pick made a lot of sense at that spot because, I mean, you, you said you mentioned they got Juhas, uh with their following pick. So you think about it like this is a team that's not going to be trying to make the playoffs. So if you have a very strong international talent, I think I think we talked about this before. I, I think I would rather almost stat, draft, and, draft and stash that player first because you know that's a player who you're going to want to have the rights to for several years. You're, you're, you're going to want to be able to develop that player. And then if there's another player available who plays the same position but will be able to play right away, then you take that player with the next pick. And that's what they did with with Hirsch and Juhas. Um, you know, I haven't been the biggest fan of Hirsch, of, uh, sorry, of Juhas throughout her collegiate career, but in her fifth, fifth season, I think UConn was able to kind of coach the Ohio State out of her. She was able to showcase a lot more defensive playmaking. I don't think she's going to be a terrific defensive playmaker at the WNBA level, but she played much to her her height. You know, she's a legit six, a legit six foot five with pretty long arms and some passing chops as well. But I think she played a lot closer to her height in her fifth season at, at UConn than she did previously, which you know yielded better efficiency, uh, better finishing numbers, better rebounding numbers. You know, that three point shot it, it waxes and wanes. I wouldn't say it's a great shot for her, but I think it's a shot that she's going to be encouraged to take in the pros. And if she does, and she can get at least to at least like league average efficiency there, Minnesota is going to have a decent player on their hands. You know, probably not a starting caliber big, but a big a big who's six foot five, who can rebound, maybe shoot the three pointer, and who can pass it at an above average level for for the position. That's a valuable thing. That's a valuable thing to have on your bench. 
Hirsch, on the other hand, I'm not that familiar with. I know we have a couple listeners who are very much in tune with Maya Hirsch, so I will probably defer to them. Um, but I think she's uh, obviously a very raw young player uh, for France, but she is really moves really, really, really well for her position. And I think a lot of the hype surrounding her is her upside as a defensive playmaker or as a uh, scalable defensive player, which you know is another thing that's that's tremendously valuable to uh, to have moving forward. I don't know when she's going to be planning on playing in the WNBA, when she's planning on showing up. But again, I think the approach to draft the stash player, the stash big, if you will, and then pick the right away big a little bit later in the draft was was the right approach. How about uh, their their other two picks on the wing, Bria Beal and Taylor Soul? Well, uh, Beal, I thought it was pretty interesting. She was the lowest faller in the draft, I would say, you know, projected by many to be first round. Um, I think there was a little bit of maybe smoke screening action going on there uh, amongst WNBA GMs. You know, everyone's saying like, oh, you know, Someone else is going to take it really high. We aren't going to take it very high, but someone else definitely is. Well, it turned out that nobody took her very high. I Obviously, she's she's really, really good at what she does, which is defend with physicality. I'm not sure how her game is going to translate to the W, because at some point, you just got to shoot the basketball. And you got to shoot the basketball at a respectable level. I don't know how much room there is on a WNBA roster these days for a player who just doesn't shoot. It's not like she... And I'm... And I'm, I'm saying that on purpose because it's not like she can't shoot. I mean, I don't think she's a great shooter, but it's just that she doesn't shoot. It's making them respect that outside shot. Um, and at South Carolina, there is no reason for opponents to respect Bria Beal's three-point shot or really any other level of her offense besides, surprise, offensive rebounding. Well, I mean, it's not like Taylor Soul is a very good three-point shooter, but she she's able to kind of check offensive boxes in different yes. ways. Yes. I, as far as, as when you put it that way, I'm not sure what boxes... Beal checks offensively. And the other thing, like, my main question is, where is she going to get this kind of opportunity, you know, to overcome these offensive deficiencies? Obviously, she's she's going to get out there and she's going to defend like like crazy. But, again, I think the WNBA has is moved past the point of keeping perimeter-oriented defensive specialists who don't really contribute anything offensively. You know, obviously, by all accounts, Beal is a really mature kid and a very hard worker. And I think there's something to be said for you know, a, a very highly recruited player out of high school who embraces that lesser offensive role on a star-studded collegiate team, you know, in order to put in the, the quote-unquote dirty work. But, I mean, we saw for four seasons at South Carolina on a pretty large stage, you know, I, I mean, the, the proof is in the pudding here. Where is this offense coming from? How is she going to earn this kind of opportunity to develop that offensive game in the WNBA? Soul, on the other hand, like, like you said, yeah, she's not the best three-point shooter either, but you know, I, I really wish she was an inch or two taller because she play, she's a player who you say plays bigger than what she really is, especially on defense. She's tough. She's athletic, which Beal obviously is as well. But uh, Sol is a total beast at getting to the free throw line. Like, she really forces her way in there. Um, I think she's, She might not hit that many of them, but... She might not hit that many of them, but drawing free throws is a good thing. Uh, <laughs> it's a good thing. I think she's pretty much exclusively a play finisher at this level. I don't, I'm not sure how many playmaking chops she's going to show at the WNBA level. But, I mean, if, if you look at where each of these players was was picked in the respective positions, probably both players you're looking to fill out the end of your roster with, in best-case scenario, right? I think I'd honestly keep Soul over Beal if it came down to it because she's just got a little bit more offensive juice, a little bit more offensive scalability um, than Beal does. Do you, Would you agree? Would you disagree? Anything to add? 
I am not too familiar with Souls game in college, um, but just, you know, based on what we've seen, obviously, you know, you, you don't want to kind of base things off one game too much with the WBA Canada preseason game where Taylor Soul, I thought, had some really, really great moments, you know, some some rookie moments as well, for sure. But you just compare the the minutes distribution in a game that it really kind of seemed like Cheryl Reed was trying to win and be competitive in um, and just like what we saw on the court there. And a lot of it, you know, is kind of maybe the checking or, or taking the box that, that you know less about just because you, you kind of know. Uh, I, I don't think Bria Beal really has a translatable WNBA game at this point. Um, you know, she's a good defensive player, uh, a valuable defensive player for sure, but one that you probably, you like more maybe in a, a team concept than really just kind of sticking her on the best individual player on the other team, you know, kind of less as the, the sort of lockdown player. And that's definitely valuable, but if you're not checking any offensive boxes, like really how how valuable is it? And I, I don't really think there's any shame to, you know, keeping the 28 pick and dropping the 24th pick you know I, I don't think no. there's some kind of like sunk cost there at all so I think you know based on sort of what we've seen from the preseason so far just in terms of what Cheryl Reeve is thinking I, I would not be surprised if that's the way that they go but honestly you know both both players there might be room on this roster there's there's not a lot of uh solid locks I would say towards the end of this Lynx bench so if if they both you know made the team I wouldn't be that surprised Soul, I, I think is you probably just have a better chance of kind of doing more positive things in year one, but you know, it's, it's not entirely fair to judge rookies based on just what they can do right now. Right. That's true. That's true. Especially when you're playing for a team that in 2023 will probably not be winning too many games. So with that, that's a nice uh, positive segue into the official 2023 part of our podcast, I guess. Um, arrivals, not many, you know, drafting diamond Miller, obviously drafting, Dirk Uhas and Taylor Solon, Bria Beal, um, signing Tiffany Mitchell, uh, departures, Sylvia Fowles, and that's pretty much it, right? In, in terms of like, you know, consistent rotation players, obviously they lost Mariah Jefferson yeah, as well. Not a, yeah, not a hardship player, Sylvia Fowles. Yeah, um, but, you know, in terms of their their main core, they lost Sylvia Fowles, they lost Mariah Jefferson. A lot of the same players from last year, you know, the end of the bench might look a little different, but, and I think there might be some some cuts perhaps to players that have been around for a long time um, but you just kind of go through this starting lineup and you have no I have no idea who's going to start for this team specifically like I think we can we Nafisa can, Collier and four other players Nafisa Collier is going to start honestly Diamond Miller probably going to start and Kayla McBride yeah. is probably going to start maybe that that means that Kayla McBride is your two I, you know she can probably play the two or the three at this point I, I think I would just prefer her as a a small forward at this point in her career because I just don't think she has the quickness that she once did to kind of hang with with the quicker twos. Collier, you know, we, we talked about her and Miller and, and kind of the positional versatility you have there. Um, I think you kind of like Collier playing next to Diamond Miller specifically more Collier as the four and, and Miller as the three, right? Yeah, I think mainly because Collier has, I think Collier is better at the four than the three. That's That's my sole reasoning, honestly. Yeah, fair enough. Honestly, I you could make I think solid cases either way, you know. But I mean, there's so much overlap. Like we said, like who's to say you can't just put Miller on the worst offensive player? Like, does it really matter? 
I think it's really going to be on how well Diamond Miller is able to kind of pick up defensive concepts because what you're asked to do as a team defender at the four is different than what you're asked to do as the three. So if if you can say in a given game, okay, Diamond, we'd rather have you just guard the small forward because you know it's it's less of a threat on this team. I think that would be a huge boon for that. And maybe this isn't even something that you can do this year, but just down the road, I'm I'm sure that. Uh, Miller and Collier are going to be able to have that type of versatility. We might not see it immediately, but that's probably kind of what you're what you're thinking. But Diamond, you know, she's she's taller and I think a little bit more explosive explosive as an athlete. You probably like her a little bit more as a rim protector, and I think Collier is a little bit more solid as a defensive player. So I don't know. I, it's it's going to be fun, kind of seeing what Cheryl Reeve does with those two defensively specifically. But who do you think is going to start at the one for this team? I think it's going to be Tiffany Mitchell. Uh, and if you asked me that question three weeks ago, I would have said, I have no freaking idea. But it does seem like they are trying to make Tiffany Mitchell a point guard. And honestly, Steven, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Despite the fact that Mitchell, you know, previously in her career during Indiana, she was a pretty opportunistic offensive player. Um, I don't think any part of her offensive game really stuck out, aside from her, her driving and, and finishing ability. She could get into the paint. She could get to the rim pretty easily off the dribble but besides that there was nothing really there saying like oh yeah this player could definitely lead an offense and maybe that's there's still nothing there suggesting that she can lead an offense but looking at where well, this what did you is, think about her initiating uh yesterday on saturday and against I was, the sky i was pleasantly surprised and you know part of the reason why i like this is because i think it puts tiffany mitchell in a better position to do what she does best which is attack off the bounce but also, I mean, what else does this team even have at the position? You've got, okay, Rachel Bannum. I'm not, I'm not convinced she's any more of a point guard than Tiffany Mitchell is. Lindsay Allen, you know, we know basically what Lindsay Allen is. And that's L- Lindsay Allen is a perfectly fine replacement level player. Like she does all the point guard things you need her to do at like, you know, a C minus level, respectfully. Mm-hmm. Like she's sure. not horrible at any one thing from that spot, but she's also not really adding any value in the way that Tiffany Mitchell can and the things that right. she's good at. Yeah, precisely. And you've also got Ariel Powers, who they tried playing at point guard um, previously, which did not work out. Um, so when you put it that way, I don't hate this. I think, and also you're, you're going to be invested in Tiffany Mitchell anyway. So why not try to get more out of her? Because otherwise, how much is she, where is she, she going to be playing? Otherwise, she'd be kind of fighting with McBride and Miller and Powers for the minutes on the wing, where she can at least have the ball in her hands and play more often at the one you know what i'm saying like, I, I think we should talk about like this sounds very reminiscent to cheryl reeve trying this experiment experiment with ariel powers like i'm not disagreeing with you because i i actually agree with you and and i think we both have some things to say about it but like what do you think will make this different from the ariel powers experiment well first of all mitchell's a better decision maker i, I don't think there's any doubt about that um Powers just isn't a point guard. Like she, she doesn't bring anything you need from your point guard. She's she's a, an explosive offensive player, who is uh, who has high highs and low lows. And when you're looking for a player to run your offense, to run your team, that can come with its its deficiencies, with its drawbacks. Uh, Mitchell, you know, she's got her career turnover rate, fourteen point two percent. You know, that's not that great, but it's also not that bad either. I think what you account is how often in Indiana was she put in a position to make plays for others. During that preseason game, I did see her make a couple nice driving kicks to open shooters in the corner, and and many other times. How many fouls did she draw in that preseason game? Qu- quite a few. She was able to get to the free throw line 
How many I, times? I mean, that that to me is the the big difference between Mitchell and Powers. Aside from the decision making, is just Mitchell is someone that who's just going to beat her defender off the dribble and rotate the defense. You know, Powers is going to kind of operate more in the mid range. You know, I I don't think she has a level of just explosiveness off the bounce to force a rotation and you know make that pass to to the corner or to the top of the key where the ball will eventually find the corner. You know, even in the the plays that she didn't get the assist and she had, uh, I believe, six assists and three turnovers on Saturday. But she also made a couple more plays where she just got it to the pass before the pass. And I I don't think, you know, even in Powers, uh, you know, best moments kind of in that role, she was sort of initiating the offense in that way. It's not her game. No, it's not her game. She's kind of... And uh, Mitchell has always been a player herself who's kind of looked for her own offense first. You know, she's been you know, a, a kind of scoring guard. Um, but again, just in this one one game against Chicago's mostly second unit players, especially in, in the front court, you know, we, we saw a lot of good decision-making, some really nice moments, especially in the second half. I thought she was playing a little bit more off the ball in the first half. And then in the minutes that she was tasked as a, the lead initiator, it didn't go great. Um, but in the second half, you know, I thought she played with more patience. I thought the ball just kind of stuck less where in the first half she, I think she kind of wanted to sort of, uh, methodically kind of operate the offense a little more. And that just, you know, that's not really her game. Like she's, she's an attack player and, you know, using that kind of very quick first step. We also saw her make, I believe what was her only three in the corner, um, after a great shooting season in Australia. So, I mean, it's. I'm not all the way sold, but I, I agree with you. It's probably the way I would start, especially for a team that has a lot of uh, studio space to explore. They can they can try a lot of different things. And we just know what their other options are, right? Like we know Ariel Powers isn't going to be a point guard. We know Lindsey Allen is, you know, a, if I can steal a term from you, Eric, a what you see is what you get type of player. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they just, you know, let, let's try the new thing and kind of see see what it can do. Because I do think there's like some some real upside to it for sure. You know, even if Tiffany Mitchell isn't like the lead initiator, the primary lead initiator, I don't think that's a problem either. Because one thing, another thing you saw in the preseason game was sometimes Miller would bring the ball up, sometimes Power would bring the ball up, and if you if you get Diamond Miller getting the defensive rebound, I, I wanted to keep the basketball. Yeah, basically. push that, P- push that ball. And in fact, you know, Minnesota did do a pretty good job of pushing the ball in the preseason game. I, I think um, I'd have to go back and look at it again, but it, it did seem like they were it did seem like they were pushing with purpose. So um, that's, I think, how you want to play this. You know, you're not going to get a an assist rate of 40% out of Tiffany Mitchell, but you don't need to, especially this season. Right, especially because I think, you know, they have some collective passing elsewhere on the roster. Um, and you have players who are kind of, you know, maybe this is a little bit more where you might call them like a tweener, like a Rachel Bannum, who's... Uh, a point guard sort of, but she's also, she wants to score a little bit more. Powers wants to score a little bit more, but they can, they're not incapable passers in, in some ways, you know, they can kind of make the right play, making one extra pass. What about their, their center position? Because we saw them go a little smaller yesterday. They started uh diamond Miller at the four alongside Damaris Dantas. They haven't really had a lot of their bigs available. Jessica Shepard and Nikola Milic have not played yet, but those I think are Milic especially are, I, I think is probably 
I don't know. Is she the favorite to be starting center if she can kind of get up to speed by by this weekend? You know, she just got I to Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, she she was great last season. Sixty percent true shooting. You know, she showed that she's a very good WNBA offensive player last year. Yeah, I think it should be Milic, despite the fact that she's getting a very late start in training camp. Shepard, I don't think you want to play center. She, she's at least played with him last year, though. It's not like she's kind of coming over for the first time. That's true. But um, as I was saying, Shepard, not a, not a center. Not a center. Uh, just too exploitable defensively, I think. Although she is a terrific rebounder. But I think she's just a player you, you'd rather have coming off the bench there. And I think right now it's, it's going to be Juhas backing up Milic at center. I don't see anybody. Because Juhas, I would much rather play at the five than the four. She just gives you more size, and I think she's again. Uh, there's there's less likelihood of her needing to stay stay with a quicker player, if she's playing at the five than at the four. Um, I think her offensive skill set is much better served at the five, because it's it's much rarer to have a player who can do what she can do, passing the basketball at the five. And I don't know, like Achanwa, obviously not playing right now. I'm not sure when she's going to come back. But, but what do you think? Do you think Dantas? I mean, Dantas, I'm. I'm not sure if she's if she's in her prime athletically anymore, um, after so many lower body injuries the past few seasons. Is she going to make the team even? I mean, I hope she makes the team. She's the type of player that I think it makes sense for you to keep. You got to have at least one vet in the front court, right? Also, just like her game is going to be a game that complements the players that you're trying to develop really well because she's going to space the floor and she she passes pretty well on a team that I think doesn't have great passing like you're going to get cooked on defense but this team is probably going to get cooked on defense no matter who they run out there like Milic isn't a great defender um, if you're running out Dorka Juhas like she's not going to be a quality WNBA defensive center in, in her rookie season so I think you know instead of keeping both Soul and Beal I think it it would be if Dantas isn't just completely cooked and maybe she's just done and I think that's certainly possible but the type of game that Dantas has you know she's going to give Diamond Miller a little bit more room to explore you know she's going to kind of open the floor up in a way that I think you you're going to need a little bit I, I wonder if any of these kind of undersized front court players these fours kind of get center minutes like Jessica Shepard alongside Collier and Miller and, and you just kind of have sort of collective size and, and a lot of kind of skill and, and stuff like that. Um, again, I think this this defense is just going to stink no matter what. So make things easier for the players that you're trying to develop. I, I wonder if Collier plays any center at all this year in, in that kind of rim-protecting role we saw in the bubble, which was obviously a, a very different ecosystem and kind of by necessity, but I would be interested to see them go back to it here. That's an interesting proposition, and I will take it one step further. Would Diamond Miller play any center? Yeah, that would be fun. You know, I mean, that's going to be the way where you, you're kind of... Ask, it would be bad, but it would be fun. Asking the question of, you know, how do all these wing players get minutes? How do they find minutes for Mitchell and McBride right. and Powers and Bridget Carlton? Is, and I think the way you do that is by playing a little bit smaller in the front court. You know, Mitchell, McBride, Carlton, Diamond Miller, and Nafisa Collier. Like, I want to see that lineup play. I want that type of spacing and playmaking and collective shooting around Diamond Miller. That that would be great, at least to kind of see you know, see how she could take advantage of that and kind of, you know, uh, give her the space to to do the things that she does well. You asked the question, how do all these wing players get minutes? Is there a chance McBride or Powers gets traded midway through the season? Because it, it doesn't seem like either of them are really in Minnesota's long-term plans. But they're on these big contracts, though. 
both in the last year of their three-year lower max that they signed before the 2021 season. I would have a hard time seeing either of them get dealt just because they're obviously in the last year of their deal. And even if you just kind of go beyond the presumed favorites in Vegas and New York, even the other teams that are kind of fighting for that next level of contention, like they all kind of made their big moves already in the, the offseason. You know, Connecticut brought in Tiffany Hayes and are going to be really hard to to kind of free up any additional, you, you know, the financial flexibility there is is going to be pretty tough. You know, Dallas brought in Diamond to Shields just now in, in the offseason. Washington made their big acquisition with Brittany Sykes. It's hard to see a team that's like, you know, let us go get a Kayla McBride, you know, give us another shooter on the wing because that's the one thing that we're sort of missing here. And, you know, what do you give up for a player that's, I don't know, you know, a month away from hitting free agency, basically? It's be a rental anyway, yeah. Is, is there anything that jumps out to you in terms of opportunities to kind of go get a player like that? No, probably not. I was just curious because I, I'm not sure, again, I'm not sure if either player is, is long for the team. And I think Minnesota would try, if they get any kind of inkling at all, that neither player or one of the two players is going to not resign during free agency next year. They're going to try to get what they can for them. But I mean, obviously it takes two to tango. And if, if nobody really wants to invest in a possible rental for the rest of the season, it would be, it'd be tough to swing something like that. Let's move on to strengths and weaknesses. Okay. Strengths, I think we've kind of alluded to this already, but they've got plenty of wing depth. Um, this is going to be a bad team, but it's going to be a team that has several serviceable WNBA players on it, um, at least for now. You know, There are worse options to have at the end of your bench than Bridget Carlton. I think she's a player that both of us like more than she's going to play, but I'd be pleasantly surprised if she does play like rotation-level minutes this season, but they do have that option available if they want it. With that being said, you know, around Diamond Miller, I think there are some opportunities to get to some pretty well-spaced floors to, again, just give your number two pick, whose best strength is getting downhill and attacking the rim, you know, give her the space to do so. Benham, McBride, Carlton, you know, Nafisa Collier has never been the highest volume player, but has certainly had good shooting seasons in the, the limited volume that she does put up threes. If Dantas is still on this team... You know, this is, uh, I think, the the optionality, you know, it's I guess that's another way of just kind of saying winning depth. But there are, there are a lot of different ways that this team can kind of see what is going to work for the combination of players that they have long term and just some sort of fun upside plays. And, you know, starting Tiffany Mitchell at point guard, playing Collier and uh, Diamond Miller together at the two big spots, you know, what what this team can kind of experiment with, I think, is not necessarily going to result in a ton of wins, but it's a strength in terms of kind of building this team moving forward, I think. They've also got some nice some nice athletes in the backcourt. Um, we talked about Miller extensively. We talked about Tiffany Mitchell's ability to attack the basket. Ariel Powers, for all of her weaknesses, is also a very good athlete and a, and a dynamic player off the bounce. So you have some high-level offensive juice off the dribble, if you want to call it that. It's a pretty dynamic trio of players there. And and if, if, if they end up keeping Taylor Soul, that's another player who can really push the envelope offensively. I don't know if she's going to uh, get much playing time, but again, if you're, in a, if you're in a position where you're just trying to see what you have, you're trying to see what kind of combinations of players work, a player players works, you know, I think that could be a fun opportunity. They lack that kind of one super 
uh, dynamic, established lead initiator. But I think this team has pretty good collective passing, uh, especially in the front court. You know, Dantas, Shepard, Nafisa Collier. You know, those are all players that can just make very smart, heady passes. The wings that might soak up a ton of minutes, maybe a little bit less so. But I think, you know, they have a fun collection of of front court passers that I think can ease the burden of playmaking a little bit for, you know, that lack of kind of true traditional one. Yep, I agree. I agree. And for strengths, that's pretty much all I've got. Is there anything else you wanted to mention? Because this is going to be a pretty bad team regardless. Yeah, that's that's probably it. I mean, I can, you know, maybe see them being decent, putting some pressure on the rim, both, you know, with Milich in, in the front court and Tiffany Mitchell uh, from the backcourt and Diamond Miller, of course, on, on the wing. You know, those three players, I think, are a pretty good combination of getting some good shots at the rim. But, I mean, I, I'm... I'm searching here, man. I, I don't have too much in terms of strengths. We can move on to weaknesses. They, they just don't have much high-end talent, right? I mean, that is definitely a weakness, I think. It's just like there's not really a lot of players who are, I think, even really kind of like starting caliber players on a, a lot of team. You know, you have Nafisa Collier, who I think is a top 15, top 20-ish player. You know, Kayla McBride was on sort of the outside fringes of a, an all-WNBA team, not this past season, but the season before. Uh, and then, you know, maybe this ends up just being like a good change of scenery for Tiffany Mitchell. And she, you know, has the best season of her career and kind of really takes a leap in terms of the that playmaking role. But outside of that, like they have a bunch of players that probably wouldn't be starters on very good WNBA teams, maybe more like the seventh to ninth player on a good WNBA team, you know, in a rotation. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think defensive rebounding is going to be a weakness here, at, you know. There, there's not a ton of, uh, I guess, established rebounding uh, on this team. It's hard to replace Sylvia Fowles, isn't it? It certainly is. And they have basically like one real center unless Juhas makes the team. And, and we'll see how much she can kind of affect like a, a ton of great positive defensive rebounding. I mean, the the obvious one, I think, is just they, they don't really have a starting point guard who's ever been a starting point guard before in, in a successful situation. Yeah, also tough. Okay, so... Big picture thing, big picture stuff. Well, first of all, are they going to make the playoffs? No, right? I would say no. I mean, they're not really. They're trying, probably going to be trying not to. So uh, so in that case, what needs to happen for them this season? Eric, do you, do you think they're the best bet in the league to not make the playoffs? Oh, no. I think Seattle is. See, I can just like, less so than Seattle, where Seattle I can just picture them like, kind of leaning into an identity you know maybe that two big lineup is just awesome defensively and and they can get to you know third or fourth in defense and and really just kind of lean into that and then just like jewel lloyd kind of doing enough on offense it's really hard for me other than just saying well cheryl reeve to kind of figure out a way where this team like really establishes something above average i guess well and to your point you could also point to cheryl reeve and say oh she knows she doesn't want to make the playoffs right uh, with regards to like what a successful season this would be for the Lynx team, you know, not making the playoffs, of course, kind of getting that next lottery pick, another bite at the apple for a, a true sort of franchise changing player. Um, we talked in our 25 players, 25 and under episode, how at the time, this was the only team in the league who didn't even have a player eligible for that list. Like they, they did not have young players sort of in the pipeline, you know, nobody on their roster was, uh, 25 or under had not played their age 25 season yet. 
Obviously, you know, Collier is just on the outside of that. Shepard just on the outside of that. They have a little bit more youth in, in the pipeline now with, with Miller and their second round picks who, you know, second and third round picks who, you know, I think they, they did a pretty good job kind of drafting for some, you know, interesting players that, that could make the roster. You know, you kind of go through the second round and, you know, Leah Brown was taken right before them, uh, right before they picked, you know, maybe that would be a, a player that you kind of like a little bit more, but, you know, basically the next four picks are, or have already been waived. And a lot of that is of course a, a situation. They did of circumstance. A good job. I yeah, think they did a good job. exactly. Um, but getting some flashes from Diamond Miller, she's probably not going to really, you know, be a huge impact on winning basketball, but just kind of, you know, showing you why she was taken number two, uh, getting out in transition, you know, attacking the paint, maybe developing her, her finishing package a little bit more kind of traditionally and, you know, not getting her shot blocks like we saw yesterday, you know, just kind of getting those flashes of her really on both ends. You know, Nafisa Collier getting back to form, this was a, a player who I think in 2021 was, if not in our top 10, certainly right around contention to be in our top 10 players in the WNBA. You know, always a player that's just been a, a huge positive impact, even if she doesn't have the the biggest scoring numbers and, and that kind of thing. You know, just having her be Nafisa Collier again is, is going to be huge. And then just, you know, getting one of Yuhas or Beal or, or Soul, even if only one of those players kind of shows promising signs throughout the the team that they might stick around for three or four years, I think is, is going to be a huge win for this team. I agree. I agree. How about one of the, uh, one of their players from last year that they kind of gave bigger roles to either Jessica Shepard or Milich for that, for that case, um, maybe the continued development of, of either one of those players. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Shepard, maybe because she's a little younger is, is a little more important, but her showing that last season is who she is and, and not the previous seasons, uh, you know, last season not being the anomaly. I think that would be huge for her to kind of build off that. And, you know, I think Milich, I have less doubts about, I guess. Like, I feel like she's going to be the same player that, that she was. I mean, maybe her efficiency will take a dip a little bit because just like the quality of team is a little worse. But And maybe, I guess, because she missed so much of training camp. But I feel like, I don't know, I, I'm not too worried about Milich in the same way. But okay. Maybe that's, uh, maybe I'm giving her too much credit. Anything else, or should we wrap this one up? Yeah, let's do it. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, please remember to follow, rate, and review on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA. You can follow Eric at E or myself at Trinkwalds. And uh, 11 of 12, Eric, just one more. All right, the finish line is in sight. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We really appreciate you. We'll, we'll talk to you when we talk to you.